Ernie Pyle, so I read this week, was a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. He was uh, a war correspondent for American newspapers in World War II, and he achieved uh, a kind of a, a worldwide fame for his first-hand reports of, from World War II battlefields. He would uh, go with platoons of soldiers onto the front line, and he would record and publish and write about his what he called his worm's eye view of how the Americans and the Allied forces were defeating the Nazis on the front lines in Europe and how the Allied forces were fighting against uh, the Japanese in the Pacific Ring. And he, as I say, he was on the front line. He sadly died in, on a Pacific island from enemy fire uh, in 1945. But having witnessed such enormous suffering and death and having been so personally exposed to the things that he saw and so particularly discouraged, he wrote from the front lines to, uh, in a letter to a personal friend the following words. He said, I wish that someone would shine some light in my direction because God knows I've run out of it. And although those, those words were written 75 plus years ago, Ernie Pyle's desire and his need of light and his need of hope amidst the darkness of World War II is, I think, a sentiment and a need that is shared by many people in the world today. We just pray for India. But maybe it's shared by many of us in the room this morning. We look around and we look out there and we see difficulties and struggles and we look in here and we realize that there's things that distress us that go on within our own hearts and we feel uh, an a, a kind of an affinity with Ernie Pyle that we wish someone would shine some light in our direction because God knows we've run out of it. Now we're going to continue our series of one verse wonders this morning uh, which is where we're just taking one verse of God's word and exploring it together and this morning in our verse, we're going to discover how people, even in the midst of darkness and dark situations, can abound in hope. Now, 2,000 years ago, God wrote a letter to a church in Italy, and into the church, the church was based in Rome, and it was a brutal place for Christians to live. There was a lot of, uh, it was a very pagan environment, lots of um, just uh, ungodly, sinful things going on, and there was a lot of persecution that was directed towards Christians. So the Christians were living in Rome and they were living in troubled and tragic days. But this letter that God wrote through the Apostle Paul is one of the most important letters in all of history because it is designed to shine light into the darkness and bring hope to discouraged and despairing and demoralized Christians. We're going to join it in chapter 15, but just let me give you the context. So we know this, hopefully, but chapters 1 to 5 of Romans is Paul basically giving a lecture on the, on the gospel. It's a theological lecture on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's chapters 1 to 5. Then chapters 6 to 11, he sort of anticipates the inevitable questions that will be raised by his theological lecture. And he begins to sort of interact with those questions in a sort of Q&A session that follows his lecture. Then he gets to chapters 12 to 15 and he describes the effect that this gospel is supposed to have uh, on the world and on the church. It's to create a new community of God's people and we're to live in a particular way. And our verse is the culmination and the summary and the benediction of the main body of the letter and it summarizes really the whole teaching of Romans. And it's verse 13 of Romans 
15. So imagine this. All that great theology that Paul has written about in chapters 1 to 15 has been boiled down and distilled and concentrated into one intense drop that we're about to read together. And this is what he says. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let me read that again. It's a prayer. Let's pray it for ourselves right now. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope. Amen, yeah? Well, verse 13 reveals the heart of God towards his people. And it tells us that God passionately longs to give us, his children, an abundant experience of joy and peace and hope into our hearts and into our lives. And now maybe this morning you came in and you, perhaps you haven't really kind of digested this or processed this, but perhaps you just feel like you've lost a little bit of hope. Maybe it's a situation or a circumstance in your life, but you can identify with Ernie Paul and you feel like, I just wish someone would shine some light into the darkness that I'm experiencing. You feel like you've lost a bit of hope. You know, you you want hope and you need it, but you don't know how to get it. Well, the good news is this verse tells us how to get it. And Paul gives us three important pieces of information to help us abound in hope. What we're going to see, we're going to see who God is, what God does, how God does it. Simple, hopefully. Who God is, what God does, how God does it. So let's begin with that first one. Who God is. Verse 13 tells us that God, our God, is a God of hope. And that's good news. He's not the God of gloom and doom. Okay? He's the God of hope. Other places in the scriptures, he's called the God of peace. He's called the God of all grace. He's called the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. But here we have, he's the God of all hope. And that's quite a name for our God, isn't it? It's quite a name for our God. Now, when you read the word hope, it's not a verb. It's not functioning as a verb, like an action word in that, in that sentence, that he's the God of wishful thinking, Like he's the God who just really hopes that it doesn't rain this afternoon because we've got people for lunch in the garden. No, it's it's functioning as a noun. He's the God of a thing. He's the God of hope. It's a a noun. It's a person, place or thing. And he's he's the God of hope. He's not the fingers crossed God in the sky just wishing that it'll turn out all right. But no, he's the God of certainty. He's the God of stability. He's the God who has made mighty plans and he's the God who has mighty power to fulfill those plans. Hope, biblically, is, this, is a confident, sure, steadfast, dependable expectation upon God of what he, who he is, what he's promised, and his power to do it. And so Paul tells us that we have a God of hope, a God of certainty, a God of stability, a God of mighty power, a God of faithfulness. And he's the God of hope. That means that he's not just simply or merely supposed to be the object of our hope, although assuredly that is the case, but he is the God of hope, that he's the source of hope, that he's the origin of hope, that he is the giver of hope. 
So if you're looking for hope, if, if there's hope to be found, Paul tells us we can find it in one place, in the God of hope. Think about this. God is not up there on his, on his throne in heaven, like looking down across the fallen and broken world that we live in and, and across the sinful and, and sin-filled world. And he's not looking at our hearts and nervously trying to you know, make plan B succeed because plan A with Adam and Eve failed. He's not sat up there on, on his throne discouraged or demoralized or despairing at the state of our hearts. You know, he doesn't look at you and somehow go, oh, my goodness, what have I done? And feel a little bit hopeless as he feels and sees and experiences or watches our weakness. He's not a God who is tired or weary. He's not a God who is neither tired or weary of you. Paul tells us he's the God of hope. That he has been and always will be the Lord over all of time and all of history. He's Lord over all of events and nations and of our own lives. And he's, he's not surprised by anything. He's not thrown off course by anything. He's working his plan and he's world class at his job. He's the God of hope. And so this morning, the invitation is that we can draw near to this God because, and we can bring all of our need, all of our exhaustion, all of our failure, and we have still come to him and find him to be a God of hope for us. And when Paul says he's the God of hope, he doesn't just mean, oh, tomorrow or on that future day or when you get to heaven. He means, he means now as well. He's the God of hope for the present, for today. So no matter what situation or circumstance we find ourselves in, knowing him to be the God of hope should change our perspective on those circumstances. Now, if we put some of Romans together, think about this. If we think about Romans chapter 8, together with Romans chapter 15, hopefully this will change our perspective. So what does Paul say in Romans chapter 8? He says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? And Romans chapter 15, as we just read, said, he is a God of hope. So you put those two things together and you get a sentence like this. If God is for us and he's the God of hope, who can be against us and make us hopeless? One of the most tragic things that Christians can be is hopeless. Every one of us should have a, a jumper like Rebecca was wearing last week that has optimistic on the front of it. Because we should be the most optimistic people. Why? Because we have a God of hope. Because we have a God of hope who rules over us, who loves us, who's our loving Heavenly Father. And yes, we recognize that there are problems in the world. We experience troubles in our lives. There are things that we can't control and don't understand, and yet we have a God of hope. And really, for us to skimp on hope for us to be people who doubt and complain and murmur and are gloomy and are fearful, and I feel those things, for us to be like that is actually an insult to the God of hope. Because he says, trust me. So if we've lost hope this morning, if we're Christians, we've lost hope, or we feel short on hope, or our hope is kind of sagging under the weight of the, weight of the world, Paul would say to us, remember who God is. He's the God of hope. He's the source, the origin, and the giver of the hope that you need. Run to him today. And if you're not a Christian, you may be watching this at home and you're not a Christian, the invitation is to you as well. Come to our God of hope who can transform your life and give you the hope that you're so desperately looking for. 
So that's who God is. But secondly, he doesn't stop there. He tells us what God does. Let's read again uh, into verse 13 a little bit more. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So what does this God of hope do? He fills his people with joy and peace so that we might abound in hope. So joy and peace are two essential ingredients in the recipe of authentic Christianity that is reflected in a hopeful people. Joy and peace, two essential ingredients. But what exactly are they? Well, when Paul says joy here, he doesn't mean just he's going to make you a bubbly and outgoing personality. You know, he's going to give you the optimistic jumper and helpfully, you know, give you a a positive outlook on life. It's more than that. Joy is an inner delight in God and a confidence in his sure promises that give us comfort and contentment in every situation of life. Biblical joy is not dependent upon material or physical comfort or well-being, but it's this deep and solid and firm and unmovable and substantive satisfaction and delight in God that no matter what the world or the devil might throw at us, we do not turn our backs on God. We do not doubt him. We do not, nothing can shake us or, or, or induce us to forsake him. Because deep down we know he is for us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? That's the joy that Paul talks about here. And then then he says, not only does he fill us with joy, but he fills us with peace. Now in this context, it's not the same kind of peace that he describes in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Which is, we have peace with God where the war that we were at with God as enemies and rebels has now been ended and we've been reconciled to him. That was an objective peace, a peace treaty that was done by Christ at the cross. But the, the peace that Paul talks about here is the, is the effect of that objective peace. That now we can know an inward and subjective experience in a state of mind, in a state of our souls that confidently responds to the, the truth that because of Jesus, all will be well with us. It's a peace that says, our God is working all things together. Tribulation, Distress, persecution, famine, hardship, nakedness, peril, sword, as Romans 8 says. He's working all of that together for our good. Because we love him and we've been called according to his purposes. The peace that Paul talks about here is that restful calm and assurance that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon, the old Victorian Baptist preacher, Described peace and joy as two sides of the same coin, and he said this peace is joy resting, and joy is peace dancing. And I think that that's kind of nice, isn't it? Joy is peace resting, oh, sorry, peace is joy resting, and joy is peace dancing, dad dancing. That's what peace and joy are. They, they are two sides of the same coin, and these two ingredients produce hope in the Christian. And God wants us to, God wants to fill his people with all joy and with all peace. Did you notice that? Read those words again in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. So God wants to fill us. It's not something that we can do or something that we can work up. It's something that God does to us through, he tells us later on, the Holy Spirit. It's God's work to fill us with joy and peace. 
and he's going to fill us. That means that word fill doesn't mean just give us something or impart something to us or enable us to feel these things, but actually he's going to fill us right up. It's the emphasis of those words is on the lavish and generous and expansive and abundant and overflowing and measureless way that God wants to answer this prayer and bless his people. And it's all joy and all peace, if you notice. It's not he just wants to give you some joy or a fraction of peace or a little measure of hope, you know, a little bit over here and a little bit over there. No, he wants to fill us with all joy and all peace so that all of his people can experience the totality of joy and the entirety of peace. And so that the, the hope, the God of hope might have a hopeful people. What Paul is getting at here is that the God of hope is not a miser when it comes to mercy. He wants to let you have it in the best possible way. He wants not a drop, but a flood. He wants to fill us to the brim, to overflowing with joy and peace. And that's what that word abounding in hope means. It means overflowing. It means uncontainable, unquenchable. And so we get this idea that what God does is that he knows what is best for us. He knows the best joy and the best peace. And he's a God who knows how to give the best gifts. And he knows every nook and cranny of your life and my life. And he knows we need to be filled into those nooks and crannies with joy and peace. And he's committed to doing it so that we might abound in hope. And that hope is that unflinching confident assurance that we are eternally secure in the loving arms of our saviour and eternally safe in the loving heart of our good father we're part of his unshakable all-conquering kingdom that's what god does he wants to fill his people with all joy and all peace so that we might abound in hope If you've got a view that God is a miser or a little bit stingy or he's not really bothered about you, then read this verse and meditate on it again. Our God is a God of hope who desires to fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That's what God does. Now, how does he do it? Well, in verse 13, we have two Two answers to that question about how God does this. There's there's two parts. There's our part and there's God's part. God works our part and does his part at the same time. But firstly, our part, if you like. Here's what it says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, or it could be rendered, as you believe. So joy and peace don't just fall randomly from the sky into your lap. They come as the fruit of believing. Now, believing what? Well, Paul doesn't tell us here, but I think because this is the summary of the whole book of Romans, I think he's going to say, if we asked him, believe in the book of Romans. Believing what God has said about who he is. Believing what God has said about his Christ. Believing what God has said about his salvation. Believing what God has said about the effects of the gospel upon your life. Believing what God has said about the power of his spirit at work in your life. It is believing the truth of what God has revealed about himself in the scriptures and our relationship to him through Jesus Christ. So as we believe 
who God is as he revealed himself in scripture, as we believe who Christ is and what Christ has done on the cross and in his resurrection for us, as we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us from sinners to saints, and as we believe there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and as we believe that God has given righteousness to the unbelieving and to the undeserving sinner, and as we believe that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And as we believe that he is working all things to, to our good for those who love him. And as we believe that those who are called have been chosen and chosen and justified and justified uh, will be glorified. As we believe all these things, joy and peace will funnel down to us through the word. Belief doesn't just float around in midair. It's firmly rooted in the word of God. That's what Paul tells us in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes through hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the word. So if you are struggling with faith, if you've got doubts and questions, a skeptic, a cynic, if you're struggling for hope, don't just expect that hope, if you just will it long enough, will arrive in your lap miraculously out of thin air. Paul tells us, no, hope comes as we believe. Look back up at chapter 15, verse 4, because Paul has said the same thing, but just in different words. He says, for whatever, whatever was written in former days, speaking about the Old Testament and not just the New Testament, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hope comes as we hear and as we treasure the words of God. And that word believing, as you believe, is in the present tense. So it's not just relying on something you did 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. It's an active, ongoing, constant, frequent, consistent, continuous belief in God. Every day waking up and saying, I'm going to believe today so that I might experience the joy and peace of God and abound in hope. All of us from different, uh, at different times, we, we can pray something like this, maybe not out loud, but in our heads and in our hearts, we might say, oh Lord, I just feel like quitting today. I don't know if I can take another step. Will you please help me? And Paul would say, if you're praying that, that's great. Really want you to pray those things. But then don't just stand there with your arms open expecting God to dollop on you from heaven or zap you. He'd say, Get out the book. Get out this book and read it. If you need encouragement, if you need endurance to persevere, that comes through the word, verse 4. And let the Holy Spirit use the word and awaken your heart and awaken your soul with the revelation of who God is and his work for you in Jesus Christ. That's our part. That's how God does it, through his word. But if you notice, it's not just reading that does it it's through the power of the holy spirit that's god's part god makes us abound in hope through the power of the holy spirit joy and peace and hope they're fruits of the spirit as we've already said they're not something that we can do they're not something that we can create they're not something that we can crank up in ourselves they are beyond our own ability to produce them but they are not beyond the ability of god to produce them and as we believe the holy spirit works 
And the Spirit does far more than just miraculous signs and wonders. He does far more than just healing sick people or delivering people from demonic oppression or distributing gifts to uh, Christians or resurrection power that raises people from the dead. The work of the Spirit includes bearing fruit in the lives of Christians, joy, peace, hope, and awakening and sustaining hope in our hearts that we might believe and enjoy forever all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so you get this impression that as we believe, as we get into the word, as we seek the encouragement and endurance that, that might come to us through the scriptures, God, through his Holy Spirit, takes those things and he plants them deep in our hearts and then he waters them and he causes them to grow so that we might bear fruit of joy and peace that produce an abundance of hope. God is wanting to work in us through his spirit, by his word, to produce joy and peace in all of us so that the God of hope might have a hopeful people. So this morning, if you feel exhausted, either physically or spiritually, if you feel on the verge of despair because you've lost hope and you, nothing that you do seems to awaken that hope, if you've reached the point where you just feel disappointed in church and you wonder if you can go on, if you're distressed by broken relationships and wonder if you can go on, if you're feeling, uh, facing difficult circumstances with family, health, marriage, children, fill in the blank with whatever's affecting you, and you've wondered, if, if I, can I really go on? Can I just get up and put one foot in front of the other day after day? Paul would say, yes, you can. This is how you go on. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Paul would say to us this morning, cry out to God. Pray this prayer. This is a prayer. Verse 13, pray this prayer so that God would kindle within us a new and deeper desire and a delight in God and that he would energize our hearts, that he would awaken our minds and our hearts to explore all that God is, all that God has done in his scriptures. Now, you might not know where to start, and here's just a little bit of application. Like I, Claire and I have been, until I recently, uh, we've been doing Joe Wicks, the Joe Wicks 90-day plan. I mean, Karen's laughing like, we can't really see the effect of it. Thanks, Karen. Uh, but we've been, we've been doing Joe Wicks, and the way that it starts out in cycle one is you do 20 minutes of exercise every day, and you do 30, minute, 30 seconds of exercise, 30 seconds of rest, and it's great, and you think, oh, I can... I can do this. When you get to cycle three, it's like 40 minutes of exercise and it's 45 seconds of work, 15 seconds of rest. And you go, he's nearly killing me, right? But the thing is, he didn't start there. He started with 20 minutes, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. So when you realize that, it's 10 minutes of exercise. And then you work up to nearly, to more and more. And I would suggest to you, if you don't know where to begin, one verse Memorize this one verse. Read this one verse day after day after day. Or the verses that we read through this series. And then develop it. You know, if you want to do 100 push-ups a day, you just start with doing one push-up a day. And then when you've mastered one, you might say, well, tomorrow I'm going to do two. And then the next time I'm going to do three. And then the next time I'm going to do five. And then ten. You build up to it. Let me encourage you to do that. If you don't know where to start, just open your Bible and read. Maybe just one verse. For our God is a God of hope. He's the source of hope. He's unstingy. He's lavish in his desire to fill us with joy and peace as we trust him and treasure his word. And he will never disappoint to answer this prayer. 
If we prayed, Lord, would you please, as the God of hope, fill me with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit I may abound in hope. He'll answer it. I guarantee you it. Let's pray it together.